Welcome to the Last Call podcast. I'm Sarah Hartman. And my name is Marissa Whitaker. We're both alcohol and other drug educators, or AOD educators for short. Our job is to approach substance use from a neutral stance based on science and public health. And we educate students to help teach them how to make healthy and informed choices. Welcome back to the Last Call podcast. This is our last episode for the semester, and we thought what better way to wrap it up than to answer some of your student questions. So you wrote in, we're answering. All right, so Sarah's going to get started with the first one, and the question is, how much alcohol is considered too much? Yeah, Marissa, this is a question that I hear all the time, um, and obviously it varies from person to person. So it, there's different factors that come into play. Um, you know, someone who doesn't drink every day, one or two drinks might put them over the edge. Um, whereas someone else who drinks all the time, that same amount would be a, a safe amount for them. So um, the NIAAA, so the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, um, says that drinking in moderation is no more than one drink a day for women and no more than two drinks a day for men. So based on those guidelines, heavy drinking is defined as the following. Uh, so men who consume more than four drinks on any day or more than 14 drinks in a week. And then women um, consuming more than three drinks on any day or more than seven drinks in any week. And also remember with this heavy drinking, that doesn't mean you can wait and bank all of your drinks for one day and then have seven on a Thursday. So this is spaced apart throughout the entire week. So what about heavy alcohol use, Sarah? What does that look like? Binge drinking five or more drinks on one occasion for five or more days in the last month. So we talked about this a lot in our Keeping the Balance episode, um, but it's also important to think about, you know, is your drinking interfering with your normal everyday activities, normal things that you're supposed to accomplish? And if so, it might be a good sign for you to, to take a break or cut back. And, you know, I was just kind of doing the math in my head, like five or more days in the past month for, you know, heavy alcohol use. So if you're binge drinking every weekend, one of the days, and then you do it maybe twice in one week on, you know, Thursday, Saturday, like that's heavy alcohol use. So um, when examining your own alcohol consumption, how many of those days in a month are you having more than four, more than five drinks? All right. Next question for you, Maras. Do more college students consume alcohol or weed? That's a good question. So the most current data from the American College Health Association shows that alcohol is still more widely used of the two substances, with 62% of students using alcohol in the past three months compared to 25% of students using cannabis in the past three months. I'd be curious as more data comes to light on how people use cannabis, um, we look at, you know, under that cannabis umbrella, what heavy cannabis use looks like to a person. All right. So staying within the uh, cannabis thread, Sarah, um, somebody had asked, why can't you have medical marijuana on campus? Well, this is really interesting, Maris, and this is actually a very common question. So when people think of medicinal cannabis, um, they think, why, why am I not being allowed to take my medicine? And it's actually really simple um, because cannabis is still considered federally illegal. So then any campus who receives federal funding, so all of the SUNY schools and pretty much most, I think, 
the majority of colleges receive federal funding. Um, we have to follow what's called the Drug-Free Schools and Communities Act, um, which means that we can't condone or allow any use of any illicit substance um, on our campuses. So a follow-up question that came with that is that will campuses update their policies, you know, to be able to use it on campus now that it's legal? Or is that the same thing? It's the same thing. So um, it's still considered federally illegal. So unless that um, status changes anytime soon, um, the rules aren't going to change. You know, even though it is viewed as a medical cannabis card, it's not covered under a disability. So the Americans with Disabilities Act, because it's a recommendation from a doctor rather than a prescription. So that makes things really complicated with getting your medicine on campus. So where the law stands right now, you can't use it on campus despite having a medical recommendation from a doctor. Yeah, it's really interesting, Maris. No, um, no medicinal cannabis is covered by any insurance. So any um, medicinal cannabis that you're getting, you're still paying out of pocket. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So next question for you, Maris, is um, can you talk a little bit about how much proof is in different forms of alcohol? Just explain that, break it down for us a little bit. Yeah, and I'm going to keep it pretty brief, but a condensed version of how much proof is in different alcohol. Um, the proof is essentially double the alcohol by volume number. So when you see a vodka that's 40% alcohol by volume, that means that it's 80 proof. And the scale ranges from zero to 200. Fun fact, and not that it's easily accessible, but the highest proof that there is is 192 proof, which is about two proof points higher than Everclear. So um, I thought that was interesting. Not that I'm advocating for anybody to get out and using that because you're getting pretty close to rocket fuel at that point. It's, it's not enjoyable. No one wants to drink gasoline. No. <laughs> so the next question, Sarah, can you tell me a little bit what happens when someone mixes alcohol and energy drinks? So Red Bull Vodka and Jaeger Bombs um, have always been a really popular drink among college students. And it's really interesting because most people go out and in their minds, they're thinking, I'm going to go out. I've had a rough week. I just want some energy. That's why I'm going to drink, you know, Red Bull Vodka or a Jaeger Bomb. So you're getting an energy drink along with alcohol. So at first you might feel great. Your energy might be increased. And over time, what's going to happen is that um, energy drink is going to mask the effects of the alcohol that you're consuming. So in your mind, you're like, all right, cool. Like I'm more awake. I feel great. And then by the time you're three or four drinks in, you're a little bit messed up, but you didn't even realize it until you're multiple drinks in. So I think that's really important. We always recommend um, trying to avoid the energy drinks and alcohol if you can. Yeah. And I mean, this is just a whole episode could be devoted to the risks of this, but using alcohol and stimulant drugs like cocaine in particular, that is what, everything you just said, Sarah, but wicked amplified. So there's, you know, nothing good comes from that. Um, that trickery is also there, but just again, amplified. All right, Maris. So speaking of stimulants, um, here's the next question for you. If I use study drugs, will it help boost my GPA? No, that's a hard no. So studies find no data to support that using prescription medication increased GPA or gave students an advantage over their peers. Dr. Amelia Aria has done a ton of research on this, and that's the bottom line from her findings. Um, and then also, like studies aside, let's use some common sense here. 
So aside from the legal and health risks that may be associated with using this type of medication, using Adderall the last two weeks of classes is not going to make up for the past 14 weeks of sporadically attending class, not doing your work, enjoying some of the more social aspects of college rather than the academic ones. So you can't just like pop some pills at the end and think that you're going to, you know, rally the GPA. So for our last question, this wasn't specifically written in from a student, but this is something that I think both of us have encountered quite a bit in our professions. So what happens, Sarah, when a student is sanctioned to meet with an AOD educator? All the meetings that we conduct are personalized based on feedback that is given when students complete some type of a screening. Basically what happens is students will complete some type of a screening so we can get a baseline of where their use is at currently, you know, where it has been at their highest point of use. Uh, We work with students based on where they're at and we try to help them create reasonable goals. So I think it's really important to, to know that we don't try and force you into something that you're not ready for. You know, we try to meet you where you're at and then try to help give you information on to help better inform you to make decisions to move forward. So we're never going to sit in a meeting and tell you what to do. We're more just going to, you know, help guide you in in whatever direction you're kind of looking for and help and give you facts um, that are based in education. And I think the last most important thing is I know, Maris, both you and I um, focus on harm reduction. So can't speak for every single um, AOD educator out there, but I know that we focus on reducing harm from college student drug and alcohol use. So we're not going to lecture you. Um, we're not going to, you know, shame you for, for drinking too much. We more just want to prevent bad things from happening in the future. Um, we don't want to see you get transported. We don't want to see you, you know, have to call an ambulance for your friend. Um, we want to see you eat before you drink all those, you know, important things, um, so that you can have the college student experience without having something bad happen to you. Yeah. And you really hit the nail on the head. This like There's no cookie cutter approach to this. So I make a point with all students who I meet with, whether they're referred through the conduct system or a self-referral, like, where are you at with alcohol? Where are you at with weed? Do you want to stop your use altogether? Do you want to be more mindful about how you're using it? And it doesn't, you're, you're not locked in. That doesn't have to be the option forever. But if every time you're drinking, you're blacking out, if every time you're buying a bag of weed that's going to last you, you know, for the week, last for the weekend, Maybe taking a pause and examining some patterns of use can be helpful. And sometimes having that outsider's point of view, asking your friends who are drinking the same way that you are, you might not get the most um, honest feedback. So talking to an outsider, I think, can be really helpful sometimes. All right. That brings us to the end of this episode and an end to the episodes for the rest of the semester. If you have any ideas for a future podcast that you want to hear or topics that you want us to talk about, um, please feel free to let us know. We always love hearing from from you all. Excellent. We'll see you in the fall. Bye.